Uh, Please stand for the reading of God's word. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except for the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentation over him. But Saul was ravaging the church, and entering house after house, he dragged off men and women. Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And the crowds with one accord paid attention to what was being said by Philip when they heard him and saw the signs that he did. For unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had them, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in that city. You may be seated. All right, Acts chapter 8. This is a really special passage to me because this is an easy passage to just read and not realize like the huge important things that are taking place in redemptive history in this very chapter. What's happening here in, in this passage and the one that we're going to read next week is really up there with Pentecost. I mean, this is, this is a major shift, what's happening, a major shift in the whole future of Christianity. So if this were a, a play, this, we would be moving into a whole new act here. So remember, up until this point, there, we have Christians now, but there still is not a major division between Christianity and Judaism. Christians were still worshiping in the temple, they were still praying in the temple, they weren't sacrificing the way they had been, but largely to the outsider, they didn't look a lot different than these Jews. But now, if you've been with us the last three weeks, we looked at Stephen's preaching and his execution. Now Stephen has been publicly executed, and this persecution is growing. People are emboldened in their opposition against Christianity, and the result of that is that we see the gospel powerfully leaving Jerusalem. And when I say leaving, I'm not, I'm not saying there's no more gospel in Jerusalem. It's, it's bursting forth from Jerusalem into a whole nother arena. And so in this passage, we're seeing the gospel of Jesus Christ go public, public, it was public, go global for the very first time. And remember, to understand the importance of this, you have to go back to the whole purpose of Acts. And this is why it helped open this up so much to me. There is a man named Theophilus who is asking Luke, whoever this Theophilus is, I like to think he's maybe Paul's defense attorney or someone in Rome, but this man Theophilus is saying, is asking Luke, how did this small Jewish sect become this whole new religion that's conquering the empire? And Luke's answer is simple, because Jesus said so. And so Acts 1.8 is the thesis for the entire book of Acts. Acts 1.8, Luke says, but you will, or records, but you will receive power When the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Well, this is the moment. This is the moment the gospel has come to Jerusalem. Now we're going to see it going to Judea and Samaria. And I don't think the the, the apostles, the disciples, anybody realized what was going on at the time. I mean, the feeling I have is that they're really wondering if all is lost. (laughs) Because Jesus is saying the gospel is going to conquer basically everything, go into the ends of the earth. But here we are, Stephen's now dead. We are being cast out. We've lost our lands. We've lost our livelihoods. 
We don't, I don't think they really understood the importance of what was going on in that moment. Have you ever had difficulties in your life or trials that you feel like those difficulties are taking you away from the goals and desires you have? These difficulties are, 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 are you look at these goals and these desires and they, they seem like they're getting further and further away because the, the circumstances in your life, they're not transpiring the way that you want them to. Only years down the road to realize those difficulties were the very things that were pushing you toward God's goals and desires in your life. So I, I think that's the feeling here. They don't understand the difficulties and trials, but now we can see those are the very things accomplishing the things that Jesus said would happen. And that's what Luke wants us to see. So I, I'm sure anybody on social media, you know, social media knows what you like to see. So they, they've got me pegged. My golf videos are popping up and Nirvana videos and things. I, you learn a lot, a lot about me from our social media feed. But one of the things that keeps popping up are animal videos. And, I, and not just any animal videos. Apparently, I have an affinity for the videos where there's an animal that's trapped and people help. <laughs> Maybe this is subconsciously, I'm just trying to feel better for all the hunting I do. But... I get videos of a, a lamb uh, trapped in a pipe or a duck covered with oil or there were a, a number of different deer stuck in fences and the people come and help. And in every scenario, you have this animal that humanly speaking, is, I mean, it's, it, it will die unless someone intervenes. I don't know why I spiritualize that, humanly speaking. It's just going to die if, if, unless somebody intervenes. And you look at these animals and every time they're already scared and the person is coming and they don't realize that person's coming for their help. They get more scared and then often the person will have to do something that's uncomfortable or even painful and that the terror on this animal is real because the animal doesn't realize that discomfort or that pain. It's actually accomplishing the very thing that they want most, freedom. That's the feeling we should have when we walk through this chapter of Acts. As we look at it, we're watching the gospel going global, and we're watching the gospel advance, and we're going to look at three specific things that all come together to contribute to the advancement of the gospel, but what I don't want us to miss is that these three things are true every time the gospel goes out. So this is true over the course of church history and true of this church. If we want to be a church through whom the gospel is going forward and the kingdom is growing, the things that we see here in this passage have to also be true of us. And the three things are pretty simple. In this passage, believers are sent, Jesus is preached, and the Holy Spirit works. That's the outline. So we're starting with believers are sent. So verse 1 says that on that day, that is the very day that Stephen was executed, a great persecution rose against the church in Jerusalem. So it feels like, again, this, this public execution, it has emboldened the opposition. They're all coming together to oppose these Christians. You have Saul, who you know most of you will become the Apostle Paul, but he is going house to house. He is forcing his way into these houses, literally dragging women and men out of their homes. Surely the children are watching. He's taking them to jail. Some of them are being executed. And I mean, this Saul looks more like a Taliban soldier than any kind of apostle. Now, this, is, this is horrible. These are horrible things that are happening in this chapter. And then to make it worse, for the very first time, 
all of the Sanhedrin, all of the Jewish authorities, they're united, they're unified in their opposition against these Christians. So up until now, it had mainly been the Sadducees because they don't believe in Jesus and they don't believe in a resurrection. And the Christians are saying, believe in Jesus who gives us a resurrection. So the Sadducees have been against them from the beginning, but now the Pharisees and other scribes and leaders, they're joining the team and there's this united front against these believers which causes them to be scattered all over the region. So it doesn't look ideal. But you can see that this is the way that God has chosen to push the gospel where he wants it to go. And the text actually says that all were scattered except the apostles. And that that reading has been a little confusing to me over the years. Does it mean literally every single believer left except the apostles? That's an option, but I don't think that's the right interpretation. Another option is that it's, it was really the Hellenistic uh, Jewish Christians, those, those who are Greek-speaking, because the persecution was heavier on them. That most, it's, He's really talking about them. They all left, but the, but the Hebrew Christians, they stayed. The third option, though, that I, I think is most likely is that literally everybody didn't leave, but a lot of them, probably more Greek-speaking Jewish Christians than Hebrew-speaking, but I just can't imagine the apostle, or Saul, when he's going house to house in this fit of rage, I, I don't imagine him first asking, what language do you speak naturally? <laughs> you know, I, I don't see that kind, of, that kind of delineation. And, for what it's worth, it's really important in this passage uh, to talk about what Christians do when persecution rises. Because over the course of human history, every time persecution rises and gets to, I'm talking about like this kind of Afghan level persecution in other places in the world, there's a big debate every time. Do we stay or do we go? And over the course of church history, the church has almost always said, leave if you can. I mean, we know some won't be able to leave. We know some are just going to be called uniquely to stay. I think that's what's happening with the apostles. That's why they didn't leave. They wanted to have some sort of headquarters here that they could talk with everybody. So there are exceptions, but over the course of human history, they've come back to this passage and said, look, they fled and look at God's providence and what he accomplished in their fleeing. And so Generally, the church has encouraged Christians, if you can escape the persecution you're in, do it. If you can't, God is going to sustain you in it. And I was reading a commentary this, this week about the rise of Mao's power and communism in China and the way that he brought great persecution uh, upon Christianity. And a lot of the Chinese people, they just couldn't leave, but the missionaries could. And they were talking about this one missions organization that had over 600 missionaries, which is a lot in the early to mid-20th century, 600 missionaries that all had to leave the country. And the, the feeling was just heartbreak. We have invested so much money and time in, in these people and the language and the culture. We have all these things set up and all the missionaries have to leave. Well, you go forward about 10 years and you're able to see that actually in God's providence, missionaries, as they were reallocated, went to places that would have never otherwise had missionaries, and the church in China was to a point where the Chinese Christians could step up and could not only do some of the jobs of these missionaries, but do them even better because they're Chinese. And those people really laid a lot of the foundation for the boom that we see today over in China. And I also, looking at this this passage, I want to speak to a lot of you, because 
we have more missionaries in our presence right now than we've we've ever had. They're slowly starting to go back to different parts of the country, but one of the unique things about Orlando Grace Church, because of our great relationships with RTS and Campus Crusade mainly, but some other things too, we have a ton of missionaries, more than is fitting for this size of a church, because we've just had this great stewardship of people who are going to the world. So we have all these missionaries who we don't just support, they really were, and some still are, members here. And so a lot of them have had to come home, and many heartbroken. And some have come home because of COVID, and some of you have come home because you straight up got kicked out of your country. And we've walked with you through this heartbreak, but I want you to look at this passage and see God's providence, that you are exactly where God wants you to be. And I think you will look back some years later and, and see some of it. We'll never see all of it, see some of it. Next week, we're going, we have a, a, a sweet dear couple, many of you know, uh, they're going to be reading scripture, and they straight up got kicked out of East Asia. Couldn't even go back to get their stuff. Now, he is a professor at a seminary in Singapore training pastors who can go into East Asia. So because of him getting kicked out, everyone around him would say, it seems like you're now having a much bigger influence in the country that kicked you out than you ever would have if you'd stayed there in the first place. So there's, going back to this text, there's this huge transition that we have to see, and it revolves around Jerusalem. Up until this point, Jerusalem has been the epicenter of the faith. Jerusalem has been the place that calls God's people to. But now, Jerusalem isn't, isn't calling people in, it's sending people out. You know, the, the, it still remains the headquarters of Christianity for some time, but that, that's going to cease as well. If Jerusalem and God's people were two magnets, what's happening in this text is the polarity is shifting. So up until now, Jerusalem and God's people were called to each other. Now the polarity shifts and God's people are being pushed out from Jerusalem out into the world. Now, so this is this game-changing shift in redemptive history because the message of Jesus Christ is now not limited to a place and an ethnicity, but it's going global. And while it might not be going global in exactly the way the, the, the early Christians might have hoped and desired for it to go global, it's happening in exactly the way that Jesus said it would happen. Because Jesus talked about how his people will be hated and how persecution will come. Everything that Jesus is saying is happening, and that's what Luke wants to make sure that we all see. I mean, you can go all the way down to Acts chapter 11, verse 19, and Luke says, Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that arose against Stephen, they traveled as far as Phoenicia and Cyprus and Antioch. So what's happening, God's, I mean, Luke, God through Luke is showing us what's happening is actually accomplishing everything that Jesus said would happen. And remember, I said that the elements that are true of the gospel going forward in this passage, they are also true for all of us. If the gospel is to go out, we must be sent. We have to go in some way. And it seems like maybe around the early 2000s, there was this new kind of translation. Maybe it's not new. It was new to me. New kind of translation of the Great Commission. And so you may know the Great Commission was Jesus' final words to his people before he ascended, and he says, go therefore and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That was his final command. Go therefore and make disciples. And people began to translate this as, as you are going, make disciples. 
And I really, I, I rarely get into the Greek up here because our English Bibles are awesome. But the Greek, if you translate this word as go, it literally says having gone. And that's, that's a little clunky. So translations aren't saying, having gone, therefore, but there's this assumption that you left. It's not just as you're doing it. You have to actually go somewhere. And it, it might be like James all the way to the other side of the world, but it, for most of us, it might be the other side of the city, the other side of the neighborhood, the other side of our office, or the other side of our home. It doesn't mean we're going to go to other parts of the world necessarily, but it does mean that we have to go. We have to be sent in some way for the gospel to go out because it takes courage. Even if I'm going to share the gospel with someone sitting next to me, that turning and speaking is a form of having gone. But I also want to say that this doesn't mean that we as Christians are to go rogue. Now, what, what I'm not saying, I want to be very clear. A Christian can go out on their own and share the gospel and somebody can come to faith. All right, th- that can happen, but that isn't a biblical sentness. What's going on here is that people are being sent. There's a difference between going rogue and being sent, and the difference has to do with the fruit, I think. That you're, and I'm going to explain why in a second. But to be sent well, you have to first be connected to a body of believers to be sent from. So think about it like a water balloon launcher. I got a lot of trouble in college with a water balloon launcher. So I can, I can take a water balloon and I can try and hit some of y'all. But, I, but my accuracy and my force is always going to be limited because it's so hard to hold that thing tight. But if I were to grab I don't know, Michael and Sean and y'all came up here and we got a, a water balloon launcher and y'all are holding the sides and I'm pulling it back. I mean, we can nail somebody. With a lot of force and a lot of accuracy. And if I was a really trendy pastor, I'd, 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 we'd, we'd display this up here and I'd shoot it out in the audience. But lucky for you, I am not trendy. But this is a picture, I think, of the fruitfulness that we experience when, when we are connected to a local church. Because in the Great Commission, the emphasis isn't actually on the having gone. It's on the discipling. So these people who are being sent out, they're going out and they're making disciples because they were discipled well in their church. So discipling is, is the goal, but it's also the fuel to accomplish the goal. So that had been happening in the church of Jerusalem. They were sent from churches who knew them and who prayed for them, invested in them, taught them scripture. They were able to worship in person on a regular basis with these people and that refueled their, their spiritual tanks, their spiritual eyes were refocused, their spiritual hearts were retuned to be more in line with the will of God. And so I'm going to bring this all the way down to us because we're in a very unique season in this church. An extremely high percentage of y'all are new. Like it's an unusually high percentage of people who are new. And we're, we're thankful for that, but it, it, there's a little, you know, like yellow warning sign. Because new people tend to not be deeply plugged in. And our hope is that everyone here would be fruitfully sent, wherever it is that God's calling you to be. But to do that, it's our belief that you need to be substantively plugged in. So I want to take a moment. We, we actually want to take this Sunday to talk about what it means to be substantively plugged in. And I'm not going to go over all the different ways, but just three specific things for newer people. The first is community groups. We have community groups all over the city. They're generally, um, generally location um, is the distinguishing factor. 
community groups meet every other week. They are usually you know, a group of, say, 8 to 25 people, both men and women. And, and you join a community group, and you just kind of stay in that community group. And some communities get large and need to split. All the community groups will take breaks. But this is, this is a real part of being plugged in with other people and uh, just being known in the church. And so this Sunday, and maybe some more Sundays, but this Sunday specifically, we have tables set out with our community groups that are open. So we have some that just can't handle any more people. But our community groups that can handle more people, we want to make it known, like, here they are. Here are the leaders, and you can see the parts of town they're in. We want you to have every opportunity to plug in. We have QR codes abounding all around this place, bulletin board, connection wall. There's no shortage of QR codes. That can be a way you plug in as well, but we want you to be plugged in. Secondly, we're launching our formation groups. Formation groups are going to be smaller groups. This is two, three, four people of the same gender, uh, they get together, and there's a higher transparency in, in this kind of a format. And, and you talk about the things that shape you, how God speaks to you, and what it is that he wants his people to be conformed into and to accomplish. And so unlike community groups, these groups meet every week, and they have a start and a finish date. And so there are ways that you can, you know, through the QR cards, bulletin, and all that, know how to, how to gain access. We have maps on our on our website, we're trying to make it as easy as possible to plug in. Thirdly, and I know this is kind of sounding like a commercial at this point, I don't want it to. It is very important that we plug people in. And so if you are new, and I'll let you define what new means. I know some people who have been here for a year and would still feel like they're new. If you feel like new applies to you, I want to invite you to our first ever newcomer's dessert. It's name's pretty direct, newcomer's dessert. And it's just, it's going to be September 26, 630 to 8, super low-key. It's, it's just a dessert. It's, it's what it is, a dessert with the leadership of the church, some elders, staff, some key leaders. And we just want to, in a real low-key way, get to know you and allow you to get to know us and just kind of hear a little more about uh, who we are. You won't be, there won't be a big push for anything. We just want you to be able to connect because, again, we believe the more substantively you are connected, the more fruitfully you are sent. You know, I really do believe that we're entering an interesting season here, a season of fruitfulness, and that involves sending, but we have to understand the goal in our sending. It isn't just that we would be sent. The second thing we see is that Jesus has to be preached. Jesus must be preached. We're not just sent as Christians. We're sent as Christians to tell people about Jesus. And so in verse 4, this is a really interesting verse. Luke writes, Now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. And almost every commentary agrees they hate the way this sentence sounds. <laughs> because it, it, is, it is exactly what the Greek says. They went about preaching the word. And, and I hope everybody knows I'm pro-Bible. But the Bible is not necessarily the thing being talked about here. And we easily think, oh, well, if that's what it is, then, then we're talking about sermons and, and uh, nice exegetical outlines. But what's going on here is all of these believers have been spread out, and they're preaching the true word. They're preaching the word who was with God and the word who was God, the word who took on flesh, the word through whom all things were made the word in whom is life and the light of men. The word that Luke is talking about is the great word Jesus who came to dwell with men. 
So they're going out and they're just telling people about Jesus, which is important because if we look at this and we think Philip is an apostle, which he's not, remember all the apostles, they stayed. If we think that we're talking about great orators or high biblical scholars, then we're not going to think any of this applies to us. But when we realize that Philip isn't an apostle, that he isn't even a disciple, he isn't even a trained preacher, that these are average Joes on the whole going out and just telling people about Jesus, then it applies to all of us. I mean, I'm, I'm thankful for what I get to do, but, and I think there's a role for what I do. But the way the gospel goes forward and has over the course of, of, of the church history is not through people like me. It's through us collectively sharing the gospel with whoever, whoever it is that God is sending us to. I had a really neat opportunity to talk with a guy that I admire. He's, he, he really is one of, the, one of the foremost evangelists of our time. And we started talking about his gym. And he was talking about this gym he worked, in, worked out in where they had like class, classes and community. And he was like, I don't know what I'd do without it. It's my only opportunity for real evangelism. And I was thinking, like, what, you preach to more people on a Sunday than I will preach to in my whole entire life. What do you mean that's your only opportunity for real evangelism? And what he was saying is evangelism that's the way evangelism is supposed to happen through real people with real relationships experiencing the threat of real rejection if they don't want to hear this Jesus who I'm telling him about. Evangelism that has the great blessing of, of if this goes well, I get to... I get to tell you more about Jesus and introduce you to a body. And, and he's like, I'll never be heralded for this. This is, this is the kind of evangelism that's done for all the right reasons. And I thought that was, that was really cool. And again, I'm not against Bible. I think there's, there's, a, there's, there's, a, there's a role for good Bible teaching. Bible teaching like an equipping hour. And hopefully this qualifies as good Bible teaching. But... There's a role, but our call as individuals is to go tell people about Jesus. Tell them about Jesus. And if they're interested in Jesus, plug them into the community, and we'll all help that person grow. We all have a different role to play. We'll all build them up in that faith. And Lord willing, we will all send that person out to go and be fruitful as well. So this is how I imagine it going down. I imagine these believers, they went out into these new places and they experienced people who were hurting. And they said, I know you're hurting, but let me tell you about Jesus. He also hurt. And he's also hurting so that he can rid the world of hurt forever. I imagine they experienced lonely people. They said, let me tell you about Jesus who wants you to experience real relationships. First with the God who you are, you are disconnected from and then with all of his people. I bet they ran into stressed people. They said, let, let me tell you about Jesus Jesus who is in control of all things, and if you put your faith in him, you don't have to be stressed. I imagine they ran into people who would say things like, I'm sorry for all the ways that you've been rejected and defeated by the Jewish authorities. You lost your land and your livelihood. And I imagine them responding, saying something like, yes, I was rejected by them, but so was Jesus. But I am accepted because of Jesus by God, and victory in Jesus is mine forever. And I know I've been rejected and in some ways defeated here, but I know that the victory is mine and the blessings that come with it are too numerous to measure. And I imagine whatever the people would say, they would just, 
they would find a way in their conversation to say, but can I, can I just tell you about Jesus? Jesus who was with God and who was God and took on flesh to become like us, to be tempted in all the ways we are, to experience all our pain, yet never to sin, to live a perfect life and to be sent, but sent willingly to the cross to take on the wrath of God that we deserve in our place and all the rewards that he earned with his perfect life, they're given to us. He trades places with us. And then after he died, he resurrected, beating death, not just for him, but for all of us who believe in Jesus. And one day, that Jesus is going to come back and he's going to make everything right. And we get to dwell in his kingdom forever with him. These people are going around and they're just telling people about Jesus. They have a deep love of Jesus and they're telling people about Jesus. It's not rocket science. If you, if you have a meaningful, life-giving relationship with Jesus... There is this natural overflow to just tell other people about Jesus. You don't have to be a great arguer or a great orator. You just have to know Jesus. And so maybe for some of you, that's your next step, is is knowing Jesus. Maybe for the first time, maybe you have just, maybe you've lost sight. Maybe you need to be reminded. Maybe you need to reprioritize your lives. Maybe you just need to connect with a body that's going to love you and disciple you and send you well. So if that's your first step, I want you to take that step that step of faith, and as you do, I want you to tell somebody about Jesus. Because often that has a way of circling back and reinforcing our need for him and love of him. So I'm gonna gonna steal a phrase from a friend of mine named Caleb Brazier and say, "I I want you to think of somebody right now who is near to you but far from God. I want somebody in your mind, somebody who is near to you but far from God. And I want you to pray this week that God would give you an opportunity to talk to that person. And God would give you an opportunity to tell that person about Jesus and that God would open their heart and they would respond and that one day that person would be here worshiping with us. Someone who is near to you and far from Jesus. It is simple. I'm not saying it's it's easy. There's a lot of, it's scary, but it's simple. That's what's happening in this passage. But if it weren't simple enough, then God seems to just bless the whole thing. And so this is, this is the third part. Not only are believers sent and Jesus preached, but the Holy Spirit works. It's true here, and it's true of every single person who ever enters into the kingdom of God. So here, we're looking at one of, if not maybe, the very first Christian missionary ever, Philip. And as I said, this is not Philip the Apostle. All the apostles stayed. This is a Greek-speaking Jewish convert. This is the same one back in Acts 6. He was appointed along with Stephen to oversee the distribution of food to the Hellenistic Jewish Christian widows. That's, that's a serious subset there of Christianity. But he, his job was to help serve their tables. And Philip now has been dispersed uh, along with many believers, and he finds himself in Samaria. All right, all stop. Where are we? We're in the exact place that Jesus said the gospel was going to go next. So, I mean, if you know, if, you, if you're paying attention to Acts 1 8 and you know your story, you, we should get goosebumps here. That Philip with that Stephen, Stephen's death called Philip to go where? Exactly where Jesus and Luke said that they were going to go. And it's a big deal also if you know who these people are because this group of people was very wrongly viewed, wrongly not in facts, but wrongly in spirit. They're wrongly viewed as half-breeds who do not deserve the love of God. 
Because this was a group of, of Jews who had intermarried with their Babylonian captors, and they had, which was against the rules, but they, and then they set up a different way of worship against the way of worship that God had told them that how they were to worship. And because of that, the Jews of their day, who, especially those who were self-righteous and had kept all the rules, they hated, they despised these people that they viewed as a half-breed unworthy of God's love. But here we see that no one, regardless of what you do, is actually unworthy of God's love. Well, all of us are unworthy of God's love, but none of us are beyond the reach of God in Jesus Christ. And so, the crowds gathered around Philip. And he didn't seem like he had any training. He wasn't a trained teacher in any way that we know of but he just starts telling about Jesus and everybody started to pay attention and he started to perform, perform signs and wonders by the Holy Spirit demons were cast out you have people who had not walked for a long time in some cases never had walked in their life stand up and walk and Luke says on that day the gospel went out and there was great joy in the city and I love that. You know, people think, oh, if everybody's Christian, there's such legalism and bondage. That's not the life that I want. But we see when the gospel goes out in our communities, the result is joy. The joy of Jesus Christ entering their lives. Their eyes are open to what God really wants for them. And when you get to this passage, there are lots of questions. People ask questions, well, what are, what are these signs and wonders? What's going on? Why do the apostles in just a little bit come back and say, have you received the Holy Spirit? And the answer is no. It's really confusing. Do we believe and then receive the Holy Spirit? These are great questions and they're answered next week. So come back. Right now, I want us to see that we tell people about Jesus and it's the Holy Spirit who performs the magic. The Holy Spirit's the one. Actually, sometimes he starts even before we tell them. So remember that person in your head who's near to you and far from God. Is it possible that it wasn't you who conjured up that person in your mind? Is it possible that the Holy Spirit put that person in your mind because the Holy Spirit's already working in that person? So, so you're not giving the Holy Spirit permission to go and work in somebody's life. The Holy Spirit is letting you know, hey, I'm already working here and you get to be a part of what I'm doing. And this is the way that it happened for me. When, when, when I was a, a, a senior... To be clear, the first of my two senior years, I call them victory laps in my home. When I was a senior, a guy with Camp Crusade named Kevin, he walked on to, into my fraternity house and he asked me to lunch to share the gospel with me because I had been in his head. And so he took me to lunch and he shared the gospel with me and immediately, like almost, I, I knew the answer was yes before he was even finished, but he finished. I was like, yes, Jesus is who I need. That's who I'm looking for. I'm ready. And he was a little, little surprised, a little startled. And, and I remember him saying, I'm not sure if you understood me right. Because I, I, I just seemed to be so far from God. And he said, let, let me do this again. So he pulls out a different gospel tract. And he starts walking me through a different gospel tract. And he says the same message, basically. It started on a napkin, and now we're in a tract. But I was like, yes, Jesus is who I want. And to him, it was startling because he didn't know that for two weeks every night, I was praying for God to show himself to me. It was the Holy Spirit, who is already at work in my heart. Kevin just got to be a part of it. And that's a picture of the work the Holy Spirit does through all of us. Because no one has the ability to see Jesus. I mean, this is not a niche, like, debated theological thing. Orthodox Christianity says none of us can see Jesus. 
We are too ravaged by sin. Our minds, our hearts, our souls, everything too ravaged for any of us have enough wisdom or intellect to turn to Jesus. The Holy Spirit has to do something to overcome it, which is good news because we can't change anybody's hearts. We can't change anything, much less make, it, make them joyful. But what we see here and what is normative over the whole course of church history is that the Holy Spirit's the one doing the work. We get to be a part of it. And if you've been a part of it, you know that there's as much of a blessing as being a part of sharing the gospel as there is even receiving it. Because you get to see more about God's character and faithfulness and work. As the gospel goes into people's heads, the Holy Spirit is going into people's hearts. And we're seeing this happen. We're seeing this. If you were at our family night meeting a few weeks ago, we had some heavy things to talk about, but we also had a Q&A, and someone asked me, what are you most excited about right now? What are you most encouraged about? And my answer's simple. About a year and a half ago, we added a little box on the tear-off tab, and it says, you check it if, you, if it says, I'm interested in becoming a Christian. And we had a year where that box was never touched, and now it is regularly checked I'm learning of people weekly who are coming to faith and want to be baptized. And November 7th on our 30th anniversary, we're going to get to celebrate a handful of baptisms. And these are, some are children, some are people who are far from God and the Holy Spirit brought near. And I hope that, that by God's grace, we'll have more baptisms than I even know of right now. But we're going to get to celebrate God doing the exact same thing in this passage in our midst. The Holy Spirit is working and he's working in and through you, through each of us. Who is that person who is near to you and far from God? Might God really be putting that person in, in your heart? Because he wants you to go see that person. He wants you to be a part of that person's salvation. And I know some of you are experiencing trials and difficulties right now that are very confusing and those difficulties they may feel like they're actually taking you away from the very thing that God wants you to do when maybe like the disciples and like these these sent people all over it's the difficulty that God is actually going to use to accomplish what he wants through you for his glory we want you to be encouraged by this church We want you to be known by this church. We want you to be equipped by this church. We want you to be built up by this church. And we want you to be fruitfully sent from this church. In our mission statement, part of it says we send our best. And when when we first said that, a lot of people felt like, oh, it's the missionaries who are the best, and I guess we're the leftovers. But that's not what we're talking about. We want everyone sent. You are our best, and you're going to very different places. Some Turkey, but most of us to our neighborhoods, our gyms, and our our workplaces. Because God wants to use us to send us that we might talk about Jesus and the Holy Spirit might do a work that is in many cases beyond anything that we can imagine. That's what we see happening in this passage, and that is normative. Nothing special, normative all of Christians everywhere and every time. Let's pray. God, I am just so thankful to have this example of Philip 
an average person, an average guy who serves tables and you you send him and you use him to draw an entire crowd, to bring joy to an entire city. God, what could you do through this room? What might you do through this room? Would you let us to see the things that hinder us? Whether we're disconnected, whether we're just actively walking in sin, let the draw of being a part of your call and being in relationship with you, let that Make us excited to leave our sin. Make us excited to join arms with God's people and excited to love, honor, and glorify you and tell other people about Jesus. We love you and we ask this in your name. Amen.